This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Let's pray together. Father, our, our prayer is that, that you would receive all the glory that the, the church that, that you have redeemed, that, that Christ died for, that, that we would, would be a body of believers that truly brings you glory. And now as, as we prepare to, uh, to worship through studying your, your word, as we, as we open up the, 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 the book that you have, have given us, um, that, that gives us instruction, uh, that, is, that feeds us, that's the, the sword of your spirit. We, we pray that it would pierce us. Uh, Lord, you, you know the, the inner thoughts of our hearts. You know that the challenges in our lives that each of us is facing. You know exactly where each of us is today and exactly uh, where your word needs to pierce and convict and challenge and encourage and comfort or whatever you desire to do in our lives. Lord, you, you are an omniscient, all-knowing God. You, you know our needs, and you are an omnipotent God, and you were powerful enough to meet them. And we pray that you would speak now powerfully through your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me invite you to turn to Malachi chapter, chapter 2. I'm so thankful for Miguel uh, finishing out chapter 1 for us uh, last week. And if you're new here, kind of what we do week by week is we're walking generally through a book of the, the Bible. And, and, and so we're doing that with the book of Malachi now um, as we look forward to the, the celebration of the coming of Christ at Christmas, we're in this Old Testament prophecy which really points to Christ, and our text today just points to Christ and his faithfulness in such a, a powerful way. So we're looking at chapter 2 today, and we see such a clear portrait there of the, the faithfulness of Christ. So Malachi chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 16 today, and let me ask you to stand again and as we look at God's word together, and I'm going to read and just follow along as we walk through the, the second chapter of Malachi in verses 1 through 16. The Bible says, therefore, this decree is for you priests. If you don't listen, and if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you, and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I have already begun to curse them because you were not taking it to heart. Look, I am going to rebuke your descendants, and I will spread animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices, and you will be taken away with it. Then you will know that I sent you this decree so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of armies. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave these to him. It called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in 
peace and integrity and turn many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should desire instruction from his mouth because he is the messenger of the Lord of armies. You, on the other hand, have turned from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have violated the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of armies. So I, in turn, have made you despised and humiliated before all the people because you are not keeping my ways but are showing partiality in your instruction. Don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously? Against one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah has acted treacherously, and a detestable act has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, whoever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. There is another thing you do. You are covering the Lord's altar with tears with weeping and groaning because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. And you ask why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. You can be seated. Imagine college students walking into a a class with a notoriously hard professor. No one wants to have this guy as their professor. All, All the students try to avoid taking his classes, but they can't avoid this class. This class is required. They have to have it. And so they walk into this class the first day of the semester with a sense of of dread because of this professor's reputation. Well, much to their delight, they walk into the class and they discover that this notoriously difficult professor is taking a semester off. And there's a substitute professor. And the substitute professor announces that he has some, some radically innovative ways of teaching. There is no syllabus, there will be no readings, there will be no papers, there will be no test, attendance is optional, and everyone will get an A. Well, these students feel like, you know, we've died and gone to heaven until the next semester. when they take a class that builds on the former class and in which it is actually presumed that you have learned something and mastered material from the former class and they realize with a sense of dread that their former professor has set them up for failure. The situation of those students has some similarities with the people of 
of Israel because just like it's necessary to have teachers who actually teach, it's necessary to have preachers who actually preach God's word. And, and what we see here is, is, is a failure of, of priests in the first part of this chapter, but then what we see is that all of us ultimately need a perfectly faithful priest, which only Jesus has been. So what do we see here? Um, if you want to take notes, you can, you can turn over on the back of your bulletin and you can see the outline there and some quotes that we'll look at um, today. But the first thing that we see that we need here and that God has provided for us is a faithful priest. So let's begin in verses 1 and, and 2. Therefore, this decree is for you, priests. If you don't listen, if you don't take it to heart to honor my name, says the Lord of armies, I will send a curse among you and I will curse your blessings. In fact, I have already begun to curse them because you were not taking it to heart. So God is accusing the priests here of the failure to do what? The failure to honor his name. So in the Bible, when it talks about the name of God, that means it's the, the very character of God. God's name is his character. It is, it is who he is. And so God here is, is taking these priests to task for their failure to honor his name. You know, actually, every time that we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're, we're praying that, that God would help us to honor his name. When we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's what we're praying. You ever want, we, sometimes we pray these things, we're not sure what they mean. But when we pray to God, hallowed be your name. What we're praying is that God's name, that we would honor God's name. In fact, in, the, in this uh, Christian Standard Bible translation of Matthew 6, 9, in the Lord's Prayer, it translates it that way. Jesus says, therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says this about that line in the Lord's Prayer. God's name is a reflection of who he is. It has to do with the very Godhood of God. Therefore, to pray that God's name is to be hallowed is not to pray that God may become holy, but that he may be treated as holy by the thoughts and conduct of those who have been created in his image. So, the next time that you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What you're, what you're praying is that you would treat God's name as holy in your, in your, your words and in your actions and, and even in your, your thoughts. You know, that, that we would treat God as, as holy. Now these priests were, were, were not doing that. And if you were here last week, you heard part of this, Miguel preached from the end of, of, of chapter one, and it continues here in, in, in chapter two. And God says to them here in verse three, in Malachi 2, 3, look, I'm going to rebuke your descendants and I will spread 
animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices, and you will be taken away with it. Wow, like this is shocking language coming from God. Well, listen, it is meant to shock. It is meant to shock. It is meant to be graphic. The waste that they're talking about here is the, is the, the offal, which is like the, the parts of the animal that were not sacrificed, the, the, the waste that was, that was left over. And, and what God is saying here very graphically about these priests is that they who are once in a position of honor are going to be brought to ultimate disgrace. Well, why? Why was their punishment so severe? It was because they were in a position of influencing other people and they influenced them in the wrong direction. Because they had the responsibility of administering worship and and teaching the truth and instead they had led people astray. This is why James 3 and verse 1 says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Because think of the harm that is done by supposed teachers of God's word when what they teach is false teaching. I think about just what's happened uh, over the, just even since I've been in, 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 in ministry with the prevalence of false teaching in, in our country, especially with the, the health and wealth gospel, with, with prosperity uh, theology. And when you think about the, the damage that has been done to the church and the many gullible people that have been led astray by the, the Benny Hens and the Paula Whites of the, of the world. I, I would commend, this is a new book, it's by Costi Hen, who is actually Benny Hen's nephew, and who has uh, truly come to, come to Christ. He's a very faithful preacher of God's word, but uh, it's called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel by Costi Hen. And Costi tells about kind of growing up in that environment and just how people were led astray. And not just in our country, but we have exported this rotten theology throughout the world. It's all over Latin America. It's in Africa. Our team that recently went to Uganda, one of the things that they were doing was training pastors because the, the, the prevalence of this false teaching is just all over the place. So, so look, when, when people, when, when teachers promote false teaching, it, it just has horrible harm and does such damage to people. And so that's what these guys were doing. That's why God was, the, the punishment was so severe, why God was so incensed, is because people were being damaged, people were being, being led astray by these, by the false teaching and, and by these, these unfaithful priests. And you say, well, okay, but <laughs> I'm off the hook because I'm not a priest, not a preacher, I'm not a teacher. How does this apply to me? This doesn't have any application to me. Not so fast. Not so fast. You know, um, this week coming up, in the, the last day of October in our culture, obviously that's Halloween, but in church history, the last day of October is Reformation Day. It's, it's the day when, when, when we, we celebrate the, the nailing, Martin Luther's nailing of the 95 Theses 
to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, which is looked upon as sort of the event that kind of kicked off the, the, the reformation of the church. Well, one of the doctrines that really emerged uh, from the, the Reformation was the priesthood of all believers. And really, the priesthood of all believers is not something that kind of was thought up by people, by the Reformers. It was something that, that was in the Bible that, that, that they were recovering. The fact that, in a way, God has called all of his people to be believer priest. And that is taught in both the Old Testament and the New. If you look at, at Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, God says to his people there, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. In the New Testament, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, the Bible says to us, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You didn't wake up this morning thinking of yourself as a royal priest, maybe. But you are. As a believer, you are a royal priest because you represent the royal one. You represent the king. And so, in a way, all of us as believers are called to be a priest because we represent him. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20 says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. And so as believers, all of us are, are representing Christ, our King, and we have been given the responsibility of bringing the good news about our King to others. Right? That's what, who's your one? was all about. How's that going? You praying faithfully for your one? Are you, are you seeking to, to share the good news about your king and savior with your one? Are you inviting your one to come? All of us, right? We're, we're, all, we're all priests in a sense. We're all ambassadors for Christ. We all represent him. We all have the, the responsibility, the privilege of bringing the good news about him to others. Now, this is kind of sobering because we've all failed in that. All of us have failed in that. I mean, if we're honest, all, all of us would have to say, that there have been many times in our lives when we have not represented Christ well. All of us would have to say, if we're honest, that, that, we, have, that we have failed in, in, in bringing the good news about our Savior and King to others. And in a sense, all of us have, have, are, are failed priests, which is why we need to look to the ultimate priest, the priest who never fails. The only ultimately faithful priest is our great high priest, and that's the Lord Jesus. Hebrews refers to Jesus in this way. It says that Jesus is our, our great high priest. Let's look at some passages from the, the, the book of, of, of Hebrews. First of all, go back, look at, look at, look, let's look at Malachi 5 and, uh, uh, 5 and 2, 5, and 6, first of all, because I want, you, I want us to notice the language here. 
he's talking here about the, the ultimately faithful priest. And what does he say here in the end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6? He revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and nothing wrong was found on his lips. Well, well ultimately, who is, who is this only true of? Jesus, right? It's pointing to Christ. It's pointing to our great high priest. Now let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews 7, 26 and 27 says, for this is the kind of high priest we need. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. That's Jesus. Look at Hebrews 8, 1. It says, now the point and what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Mm. I love what Old Testament scholar Ian Duguid says about this. Jesus, our priest, lifts us from the curse of futility and death that we have earned. He paid for the curse that we deserve. He does this by himself enduring the judgments that are due to us. He always walked in fear, awe, and reverence of his Father. His words were always true instruction, bringing life and peace and leading many to repentance. Yet he suffered the curse that we, his failed priest, deserved. He was removed from the temple where he belonged as our holy high priest and treated like the unwanted awful from the sacrifices, taken outside the city gates to a place of shame, defilement, and ridicule, where he was publicly executed on a cross and made a curse in our place. But death could not hold him in its grip. And the resurrected Jesus stands in his Father's presence as our great high priest, still teaching us through the work of the Holy Spirit, who refashions us into the royal priests we were designed to be. Praise God. Praise God. A faithful priest is Jesus. Second, a faithful husband. A faithful husband. Let's look at verse 10. Malachi says, don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Now, Malachi is calling out the people here for their disunity, for the fact that they have neglected their covenant relationships with one another, and particularly particularly the covenant relationship of marriage. And he is particularly calling out husbands in this. He says in verse 11, Judah has acted treacherously, and a detestable act has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Now, the problem here in Israel 
was not that these men had married women from other countries. That's not the idea. In fact, we see multiple examples in, in Scripture where uh, people married uh, foreigners from other countries, uh, but that was fine because they had become believers. In fact, if, if you don't do it right now, but if you were to turn over just a few pages to the first chapter of Matthew, and you look at the genealogy of Jesus, in the genealogy of Jesus, you see Ruth and Rahab. Well, neither of them were Israelite women. Ruth was from Moab. She was a Moabitess. She had been raised in a pagan context. She undoubtedly came from an unbelieving family and had been raised as an idol worshiper herself. But what happened? We see it in the beautiful book of Ruth. I mean, she becomes a believer and she marries a, a believing Israelite man, Boaz. And it's like this, this, beautiful, this beautiful romance, right? And so, uh, you know, God blesses that marriage because, you know, Ruth had come to Christ. God doesn't hold people's past against them or their, where they were born or anything like, like that. The issue is, have you become a believer? And Rahab, Rahab was uh, from, from uh, she, was, she was a Canaanite from Jericho. In fact, she was a Canaanite prostitute. But she came to know the one true God and her life was beautifully redeemed and she you know, married a believing husband and, and, so, and she too was one of Christ's ancestors. Okay, so the problem was not uh, that these guys were marrying women from other countries. That's, that's not it. When he talks here about marrying the daughter of a foreign God, he's talking about the fact that they were marrying idol-worshiping women, that they were marrying unbelievers, people who did not share uh, their faith in the one true God. That was the issue. And, and, and listen, today, we should, we should want to, to, if you're single, then you should want to marry somebody that, that shares your faith. Now listen, the Bible's really clear. Um, in 1 Corinthians 7 and in other places, the Bible says that if, if you're already you know, married to somebody who is, is, is not a Christian, then you should remain in that marriage and you should, should seek to be a faithful a witness to, to your spouse and the, to lead them to the Lord. But listen, if you're, if you're not married, if, if you're single then if, if you're, you should be seeking, if you're even thinking about marriage, you should be thinking about nothing less than, than a spouse that loves God with all their hearts. And, and don't, don't give, give way on that because marriage is difficult enough when two people both love God. And so you should be seeking for a spouse someone who, who shares your faith, someone that can pray with you and for you, someone that's going to be all in and all part of the church family with you, somebody who's going to be right there by your side, sharing your beliefs and your values as you seek to raise children together, if God blesses you with, with children, 
Um, you want somebody that can, in, 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 where you can encourage one another and where you can hold one another accountable and you can even uh, speak hard truth and give a godly rebuke to one another when you need it. Like, that's the kind of, of spouse that you should be um, seeking. And, and, and don't, ex, don't expand that in any way. Because listen, sometimes there's, you, people feel, single people feel pressure. And sometimes the pressure is external and sometimes it's internal. Sometimes if you're single, you may feel external pressure from the culture making you feel like, oh, you know, I'm of age and I, I, should, be, I, should, be, I should be married. Or, or maybe it's an internal pressure and just you feel like I've got to have a, I've got I've to meet somebody, I've got to be married in, in order to, you just, you, you, you kind of feel an, an internal pressure. Maybe there's a sense of insecurity there and, and that type of thing. And I, listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you as a pastor who has seen a lot of heartbreak, I'm telling you, don't buy into any of that if you're single. First of all, according to 1 Corinthians 7, being single is awesome. It's a wonderful way to serve God. Second, if it's God's plan for you to get married, do you not think that Almighty God who flung the stars is able to provide for you a godly spouse in his time? He's perfectly capable of that. And third, if you're single, this is a time in your life to cultivate a satisfaction in Christ. In Christ. Because only Christ can satisfy the deepest needs in your life. And if you go into a marriage thinking that another person can do what only God can do, then the marriage is on shaky ground from the very beginning. You've got unrealistic expectations that another person can never meet. Only Jesus. Can, can, can meet the deepest needs in our Cultivate your satisfaction in Christ alone. Right? So, the first problem was that they were, these guys were marrying unbelievers, but the second problem was that, it, it, that it, in many cases, they were ditching their own wives to do it. They were tossing aside their wives and acting treacherously against their wives in order to marry other women. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, have allowances for uh, divorce. Uh, where there's unrepentant uh, uh, unfaithfulness and adultery and desertion. Uh, where there's abuse and, and, and things where, you know, uh, there, there are times in a broken, fallen world when, when divorce is the least worst option. And, and, and God provides for, the, for those extraordinary circumstances, both in the Old Testament and the New. But that's not what these guys were doing. That's not what they were doing at all. They were junking their wives in order to, to, to marry other women. And in a culture like this, where all of the power, where everything was tilted toward men, there was no safety net for 
women, would, if they were tossed aside by their husband, they could end up on the street. And so God is calling these guys out that they have acted treacherously. Verses 14 and following, he says to them, and you ask why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. Now, this mentality of, of men just sort of... Uh, ditching their wives for the flimsiest of reasons and leaving them in incredible, incredibly vulnerable positions, it, it carried over. It carried over right, in, right in, into the time of Jesus. And you can see this in one of the questions that Jesus was asked one day. We see it in, in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? How does Jesus respond? He takes it right back to the beginning, right back to Genesis. Matthew 19, four through six. Jesus says, haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so Jesus is teaching here that, that marriage, the covenant relationship between husband and wife is sacred and permanent. Notice he did not say it was easy. <laughs> Again, Ian Duguid is so on target here. He says, marriage is intended by God to be forever. And we should fight strenuously for that goal, submitting our own personal preferences and desires to the greater good of God's design. That is not easy, of course. There can be desperately hard times, even in a good marriage. There may be days when all of us are sorely tempted to throw in the towel. Instead, we should cry out for help. Go to your brothers and sisters in Christ who have walked through difficult times as couples. We are so blessed in our church to have marriages of, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70 years in some cases of husbands and wives that have, have walked through the fires together, walked through the good times and the difficult times, the, 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 day, the, light, the light days and the dark days that marriage brings. And they are so willing to come alongside in love and, and to encourage and to give godly counsel. So listen, cry out for help. Don't, don't go through it alone. Go to, go to godly people who will love you 
and encourage you and impart the wisdom of hard-earned experiences with you. You have pastors who love you that you can go to. There may be a need for a godly counselor that we'd be happy to to recommend. Listen, sometimes even in a good marriage, even in a good marriage, you walk through times where you just get stuck. You just, you get stuck. And you need a third party to help you get unstuck. And there's no shame in that. So, call out for help to godly people who love you and who will be willing to, to help, but most of all, humble yourselves and cry out before the Lord. Humble yourselves before God. Acknowledge your own sin before anyone else's, but even before your spouse's. And, 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 and call out to the Lord. Listen, God had every reason to just toss us aside, didn't he? He had every reason just to toss us aside. We have all been so faithless in so many, many ways. But listen, what has he done? In the Old Testament, there's another, there's another prophetic book, the book of Hosea. The whole book of Hosea revolves around this theme where God is presented as a, as a husband who pursues his faithless bride even into the wilderness, even into the desert because he refuses to, to let go. That's a picture of the gospel. That's a picture of how our God has loved us because ultimately what was God going to do? Christ was going to, to leave the, the glory of heaven to come all the way to us as our, as our bridegroom, to redeem his, his bride. He was going to come all the way from the glory of heaven to the smells and the sounds of, of an animal stable. <laughs> And be born there, be laid in a, a manger, a feeding trough for animals, right? And he was going to live the perfect life here in this dark world that only he could live. And then take, take all of the shortcomings and all of our faithlessness upon himself on the cross and die in our place and rise so that we can have forgiveness and new life and eternal life. That's how he has loved us. And so the calling, the calling in marriage is for us to love one another like that. Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives. How? How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We in the church are the bride of Christ. And in Christ, we have one who will never leave us, who will never forsake us. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the faithfulness of Christ. We thank you for the the love that you have shown to to sinners like us. Lord, we we have all failed 
in so many ways. Um, but we thank you for one who never failed. We thank you for the perfect obedience of Christ who lived the perfect life that we could never live and who on the cross took our sins upon himself. Lord, we, we, we thank you that you have, you have loved us not because of who we are, but because of who you are. We thank you that instead of giving us what we all deserve, that you've given us what we did not deserve, that you gave your son for us that there's new life in him, that there's redemption in him. And Father, I pray for anyone here today who has never experienced that. Father, I pray that you would work in the power of your spirit right now, that you would open hearts just to see your great love for them in Christ and that they would see who Jesus is and, and turn to him, trust him, and say, Lord, just take my life. Take my life. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.